Episode 29, Dennis Bernstein. What's happening tonight? Well, good, Jay. Uh, Can't wait for next week when we're uh, at Staples Center with the fans, but uh, ready to do episode number 29. Yeah, it is going to be interesting next week with some fans. And, you know, that actually leads into our guest today. Uh, He's a returning guest. He's been on the program before. He is the COO of the LA Kings as well as AEG Sports. I'm talking about Kelly Cheeseman. So we uh, invited Cheese to come by and talk with us about what's going on at Staples Center and what it's going to be like as they transition from playing these games with an empty arena into having fans inside the stadium. So that should be an interesting guest coming up in the second period. Dennis, uh, a lot to talk about there and a lot to talk about with the LA Kings. But before we get started, I should mention that we're coming to you today from the beautiful Bob Corkum studio here in beautiful Southern California. And DB, I'm guessing that that name, you, you, you might, might you might even know why I picked that name. I don't know why you picked it, but I believe he was both a king and a duck. He is. Here he was. You are correct. And so here's here's the connection here. Uh, it being in the garage, doing the whole beautiful mind thing with the whiteboard and the magic <laughs> markers and whatnot. Uh, Bob Corkum played for both the Kings and the Ducks. And interestingly enough, when he was a member of the L.A. Kings, that was the first year at Staples Center. So that was the first time that fans had ever gone inside the building and, and, you know, uh, been able to see games, hockey games at the Staples Center. And now some one year later, plus later of no fans in the building were were on the doorstep waiting for next week. Fans will be allowed inside Staples Center once again. And so I hearkened back to 20 plus years ago, the very first time. It was uh, the L.A. Kings were playing and Bob Corkum was a member of that team. And coincidentally, D.B., when they uh, have fans back on April 20th, the Kings will be playing the Ducks. So you get a little connection there with the Kings, the Ducks and fans going into Staples Center for the first time. Great connection, Jay. Let's get to the episode. Okay, so uh, moving right along here, DB, um, we have Jeff Carter and uh, Alex Ayafalo. Those were two of the hot news items earlier in the week, and we haven't done an episode now for over a week. You yeah. and I had talked off air, though, a couple of days ago, and we thought, you know, people might be on Jeff Carter or Alex Ayafalo overload because there was so much <laughs> going on in the news there for about 24 or 48 hours. Just let's let it breathe a little bit, and then we'll come back to it uh, later in the week. And that was when we decided to do this podcast here. So a lot to cover. Uh, when it when it comes to Jeff Carter, why don't we start there? Some people were trying to link the Jeff Carter contract, mm-hmm. or the Jeff Carter being traded, I should say, as a way of freeing up money for Alex Iafalo. When in fact, the you know that couldn't be any further from the truth. Right. These two things do not have anything to do with each other. Jeff Carter being traded really was more about creating a roster spot. 
right. not only for this season, but really for next season as well. So it has more to do with Quentin Byfield than it does mm-hmm. with Alex Iafalo. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, look, the guy had a great run here, 10 years. Um, you, you can see the sadness in the room from the veterans, you know, like Drew Doughty. His media availability, he was, like, really profoundly sad about Jeff departing. But, yeah, it, it's not about creating space because, as people know, they're going to probably have close to $20 million in cap space. So it wasn't about that. It was about just making room for the next wave of Kings, John. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one of the other things that was talked about was, uh, again, I'm just going to kind of rehash some of the hot takes that we've seen here over the last couple of days. <laughs> Saw some fans up in arms saying, you know, oh, Rob Blake has no loyalty. How could he do that to Jeff Carter? And I'm thinking, you know, really, it's the exact opposite of that because Jeff Carter had no trade protection available to him in his contract with the LA Kings. And so, if Blake wanted to, he could have traded him to any team in the National Hockey League without ever talking to him. Instead, he found him a home that would give him an opportunity to uh, perhaps go for another Stanley Cup uh, with a winning franchise, playing with arguably one of the best players in the game in Sidney Crosby. And he waited for Carter to basically approve the deal. So you talk about loyalty and respect. I thought that Blake showed tremendous loyalty and respect to Jeff Carter for what he's meant to the franchise. And he turned him to a GM who knows him, John. I mean, that was that was kind of the uh, the genesis of the deal because Ron Hextall had an interest, uh, and so did Brian Burke a month ago. And at that point in time, Jeff wasn't interested in leaving L.A., and I get it. I totally understand it. As we mentioned, over a decade here, he didn't want to leave his home. Uh, but as the deadline grew, uh, grew closer... I guess there was some thought about it having one more run at a cup um, and he agreed to go, but I agree. He could have gone anywhere and look based on his performance. He could have been way. It's everything, but being unloyal or disloyal to that player. Like it's, it's, I think the highest form of respect turning him to a contender, turning to a GM who knows him like, yeah, he could have gone anywhere, but uh, yeah. And there always, there was always the threat Jay though, of, of the guy retiring because he got paid the, the, what two million dollars per year for this year and next year so there was always that quote-unquote threat Uh, but yeah i think it was uh totally respectful because as you mentioned uh rob didn't have to do it he couldn't he didn't have to have a conversation with him to be honest with you he could have just called Mm -hmm. him and say hey by the way you're traded to carolina he didn't do that um they approached him last month didn't want to do it um now we had a, a change of heart and now he's a pittsburgh penguin you know, it is interesting to, to, after the fact, you know, we sort of find out more details and to find out that he had talked about a month, uh, they had talked about a month ago, we had heard, and I think we even talked about it on the program a couple of weeks back, that there was, there was some dialogue between Blake and, uh, and Hextall that was going on. And we thought that mm-hmm. there was a potential for a good hookup for a, perhaps a Jonathan Quick trade, uh, given the Penguins need for some goaltending. But in fact, it sounds like, or even if that did happen, it sounds like Hextall was maybe in the end interested more in Carter than he was in Quick. So uh, good on Ron Hextall for, for going out and picking up uh, Jeff Carter and good on Jeff Carter for ultimately agreeing. I guess he was presented the trade again or the final details of the trade uh, that Sunday morning when they came back, uh, the Kings did, that is, came back from their road trip uh, and he had all day to think about it and late Sunday night he agreed to it and and off he is. Now, uh, Dennis, one of the other things that's been talked about would be the potential retirement of number 77 when he's all done. I'm talking about his mm-hmm. jersey being retired at Staples right. Center and you and I, I think, uh, are on the record from over a year ago, we talked about it on the program, uh, 8, 11, 23, 32, Mm-hmm. I believe, I think you believe, those are the only four numbers that will be retired in Los Angeles. You know, with all due respect to Jeff Carter, I don't think 77 uh, will be hanging up in the rafters anytime soon. Yeah, I've mentioned before, Jay, that if they ever create a ring of honor, and they probably should, for guys like Green and Stoll and the rest of them, um, Jeff Carter would be included in that. But the fact that he's not homegrown, you mentioned the four guys, Jay. They're all homegrown, right? 
And Jeff yeah. came here, you know, what, probably seven or eight years into his career. Um, and uh, look, you forget, though, I forgot, John, that it was 10 seasons. When I look back and say, wow, how long? That's a long time. And he's certainly an impact player for the two championships. But uh, to get to that level of putting your na- your number in the rafters, I agree with you. I don't think he, he makes that cut. It's no disrespect to the player, but I think it's reserved for very special players that the four that you mentioned. You know, you mentioned him coming here, DB, and his career was not, he was not held to the highest, uh, in the highest regard when he was there in Columbus. It was a real rough time for him. And to his credit, he came here. He changed. Um, He became a, you know, uh, the gym rat that everybody talks about. He became the ultimate teammate. He put in the work. He was a true professional. And, you know, you talk about getting paid early in your career and and Mm backloaded contract and all that. DB, he's had a number of injuries over the last couple of years, and he probably doesn't get the credit that he deserves for putting in the work there have been many 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 nhl players that have had injuries you know uh towards the latter end of their career and they just sort of fade away they ride off into the sunset and you never hear from them again not jeff carter i mean these are serious injuries it wasn't like he had a broken thumb these are serious injuries that he had and it didn't matter to him he put the extra work in and did whatever it took to get back there uh to to play again and to be productive and let's not forget he even scored a goal in his final game with the la kings (laughs) and he's had a pretty decent season got off to a really hot start but overall he's had a, he's had a decent season for what should have been a, a third line right wing most of the year for the uh for the kings and so i think a lot of credit needs to go to him but last point on jeff carter would be the retirement component to the contract dennis people are talking about oh i can't believe that the kings retain 50 percent of the money and and mm-hmm. if he retires next year and there's a three million dollar cap hit guys this was all about freeing up a contract spot for next right. year. If Jeff Carter was on the LA Kings next year, he came with a cap hit of over $5 million. If he happens to retire then and there's a, a penalty for $3 million, that's still better than what it would have been under the regular scenario, considering not only the money aspect of it, even if you consider that a wash, which it's not, but if it was, then mm-hmm. freeing up the contract made this right. whole trade worth it. Sure. And just back to the person, Jay, I don't think he gets enough credit for it because look, we know the skill. Look, when he came to L.A., he had a bad reputation because of what happened in Columbus and, you know, Philadelphia is Philadelphia. But not only did he become a great player in the clutch, but we never gave him enough credit for being that leader in the room. And you wouldn't know, John, because he was so resistant to talking to the media that you would never know right, that he was a leader, but he evolved into that leader. He wore a letter on his sweater for how many years? And mm-hmm. people and the players vouch for him, John. You know, again, mm-hmm. going back to the you know the Kopitars and the Browns and and the Dowdy saying like what a sad day it was for him to part. We never saw that side of Jeff Carter, but the fact that everybody vouched for him and he wore a letter for this organization, which isn't really tossed around lightly, is a testament to the type of person he is in the room. We just never saw a glimpse of that because he he really rarely look when he talked to us, Jay. I always said it was a special event, right? It was Jeff Carter's mm-hmm. special event. So I don't think he gets enough credit for that, but from the reaction to the core on this team and other players that we talked to, he was certainly a leader as well. I guess one more point uh, to make about this, Dennis, these hot takes that are out there, people saying that Blake didn't get enough for Jeff Carter. Uh, it's a little bit of a curious thing for me. You know what? I'll tell you what, I'm going to save that because we have the Twitter polls coming up in the third period. Yep. Um, and there, well, that was one of the answers. So let, let's get to that when we get to the third period. I, I'm sorry. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't have even teed that up there. We'll, we'll keep that in the third period. Um, let's move on to Alex Iafalo, Dennis. Sure. This is a guy who, you know, it, it, 
it appeared that his camp was 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 digging in. They were digging their heels in on wanting five million dollars a year. He's a top line player for the L.A. Kings. He wanted to be paid like a top line player. And even at five million, he would have been the least expensive of the Kings three players on the top line. Um, the Kings would have perhaps liked it to be more of like three point five million, kind of like the Tanner Pearson um, type contract. They ended up settling on four million a year. It happened at the very last hour, DB. Uh, it was it was up until, you know, late. Yep. Monday up against the trade deadline, but uh, the Hail Mary happened. Uh, they were able to find some common ground. I don't think we'll ever really know uh, the timing of things, but at least it was curious in my mind, Dennis, that two of the potential places that he was uh, rumored mm-hmm. to be going, which was Boston, and we know that the Bruins had been uh, uh, scouting in Los Angeles, either Boston or Toronto, they both ended up making trades in the 24 hours prior with Felino going to Toronto and uh, Taylor Hall going to Boston. Now, you know, it's chicken or the egg thing. Did they go there because Blake had let them know sure. that they were close enough on a deal that Ayafala was not going to be available in a trade, and so they moved on to their second choice of players? Or did... Those two moves happen, and then Blake had to come back to the table and maybe move up a little bit off of the the three and a half million that they were at. We'll, we'll never really know, and the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Sure. But four years, four million dollars. What do you think about Alex Iafalo being uh, inked or locked up to a longer term contract? Well, before the numbers, the Islanders would have been a destination as well, but then they traded for Palmieri and Zajac True. that covered that. True. The only the only destination John I would have seen was maybe Minnesota. And he would have fit in nice in Minnesota to a skating team. He would have brought an edge to that team. So that would have been an impossibility. But with respect to the contract, look, they, they came down on the AAV. They got an extra year. I, I think it's a situation where both sides think they walked away with some accomplishments. And I think it's a fair deal. The only look, if you want to criticize it, it takes until 31. And we always talk about age and where you want to slot these players in. But Jay, I think it comes down to one simple thing. Um, if you did, if you had let him go, or you traded him or he walked the free agency into the season, then you're going to need to find two left wings on this team, and that would be a big task. And as Todd has said before in the past, nobody's taken that role from him. And I know that we can have the debate about moving players around and maybe you want to break up the top line, but there's been no person since he's come in as an unsigned free agent from Minnesota Duluth that uh, has taken that role away from him. So give him credit. He earned that contract. It'll fit him well. And even, John, if his destiny is to be a, a LW2, $4 million a year in AAV for LW2 is still a value contract. Yeah, he's going to eventually slide down and become left wing two or left wing three when somebody comes in and takes that job. Like you mentioned, Todd has made reference to that as well. Hey, that nobody's taken his job yet. So he's there until somebody, you know, uh, moves him off of that line. Um, however, there is another way to sort of slice and dice all of this, and that would be everybody talks about him being the weak link on that right. team. And just hear me out sort of on this. Sure. Um, historically, when you have a, a, a line that works very well together, there is typically a guy on the line who does a lot of the dirty work, does a lot of the heavy lifting. Tanner Pearson did a lot of that work, for example, uh, for Tyler Toffoli and Jeff Carter. They right. gave something different to that line compared to what Pearson did. If you go back several decades ago, Dave Taylor, more physical, but he was that player for the Triple Crown line. He did the dirty work on that line. Um, that's what Alex Iafalo does, and he helps create a lot of the offense that Brown and Kopitar are the beneficiary of. So give him some credit for that, which also leads me to my point here. For all this talk about moving Alex Iafalo off that line, maybe it's time to start thinking about moving Dustin <laughs> Brown off that line. And I don't say that lightly because I have a tremendous amount of respect for of Dustin course. Brown, and I've been yeah. one of the people along with you. I mean, you know, we, we, we love Brownie, so it's not about that. I look at it from a couple different perspectives. Sure. Um, number one, this team has been 
has had challenges in trying to find a successful left wing. So maybe instead of only looking at left wing, maybe look for a right wing as well. Um, and also with Jeff Carter now being gone, you have Dustin Brown and uh, 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 Kopitar, the two senior forwards mm -hmm. on the same line. I've been right. lobbying most of the season since seeing them first play together to put Dustin Brown back with Gabe Velarde. So how about moving Dustin Brown off that line, putting him with Velarde on the second line and let Ayafalo do the dirty work. And if everybody wants to find a sniper, we know Kopitar likes playing with Ayafalo. I mean, we know he likes playing with Brown too, but I mean, come on, they've had a thousand games, like give it a rest sure. already. If you want to try to find a sniper, maybe uh, find one to put on the right side uh, with Ayafalo with 19 and 11, and then let 23 play it out with uh, 13 and see how that goes. Maybe, uh, but right now, John, in the moment, I'll ask you who the number two center is next season opening night, and you'll tell me it's who. You know, that's a great question, actually. And what I would tell you is that today, it probably is going to come down to three players. Uh, but one of the three players that it would be today would be a placeholder until the other two are ready. So follow mm -hmm. me on this. Yeah, go ahead. It might be 28. Mm -hmm. He is not a third. He is not a second line center. He won't be a second line center. Agreed. But if you want to look at him like I have follow as a placeholder, if if somebody's doing a better job than the other candidates, then that person gets the job until somebody comes along and takes right. it from them. Merit. So exactly. It, it, Jared Anderson Dolan will eventually be a third line center, uh, probably maybe a fourth line center even, but a third line center on this team. He was never really projected to be a top six player, but obviously the coaches uh, found, you know, uh, um, respect for him and, and sure. trust in him. And if, if Velarde's not ready or if they want to move Velarde to wing, that's going to give them a temporary option until such time that Byfield is ready. So I think it really comes down to either Velarde or Byfield. I don't okay. think you ultimately move Byfield off to the wing where I think you could move Velarde to the wing, mm -hmm. but I don't think you'd want to throw Byfield uh, in as the second line center unless he comes in and over the final 10 games of the year, just lights the world on fire. You feel he has a great summer. You feel he's mm -hmm. ready for it. And then you, you know, Maybe you start yeah. him as the three C, knowing that he's eventually going to take the rollover. But sure. if you go back to Todd McClellan on the podcast here, DB, Velarde was not the two C at the beginning of the season. They they wanted him to grow into the two C. If right. you remember, they started yes. as the three C. They wanted him to get to the two C, and then you know in March it ended up happening, but it, it it just ultimately ended up not working out very well. So that's that that would be the answer to my question or the answer to your question, Dennis. Well, my comment to your answer is. If you can't tell me definitively, then I would not break up the first line. But I get your point, John. I get about distributing the assets and trying to form a second line that way. It, it, absolutely, it's a great perspective on, on an option what could what you can do because you may have to sacrifice that first line to get a legitimate second line because this team badly needs it. And depending on the ads they make, it's a very fair take. Um, I, I, I would keep the first line intact, but I certainly get your logic with respect to maybe moving Brown down to the second line, which isn't a side of disrespect. It's a side of uh, we need help on the second line. Yeah, I absolutely um, think that there's a whole bunch of Kings of the Podcast episodes in the future to break this down, but I just want to throw two names out there, and that would be Bertuzzi, and that would be Schwartz, and I think those are mm -hmm. two names to keep an eye on that sure. the Kings could potentially be interested in, and if you were able to bring the, one of those players in, or maybe even both, I mean, you know, why not dream pie in the sky? Uh, if you were able to bring some players like that in, then I think it does change the complexity of your top six and gives yep. you some different options, absolutely. so things to think about as we move forward here, uh, Dennis 
Before we do, though, bring in uh, Kelly Cheeseman uh, for the second period as we sort of transition here and talk more about what's what's to come rather than what's already happened over the last couple of days. Coming up on April 20th, the Kings are going to welcome fans back into the into the Staples Center, as we talked about. But I just wanted to uh, sort of put a put an end, uh, put a, ca- a cap, if you will, on us as media going to the games. And I want to sure. say this. I want to say this with tremendous respect. Um, I'm not complaining. I, I'm very honored, very privileged, very appreciative of the fact that we get to go the places that we get to go, DB, going into the locker room and covering games and yep. having access to buildings and practices and, and, and all of that stuff. We're very privileged. We're very blessed. I'm not complaining. I'm just giving some commentary um, about those experiences. And I will just say sure. that DB, going to Staples Center without fans it's depressing. There's no other way to say it. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's not the normal game experience. It's um, the, the the thing that bothers me the most is probably the noise that's being pumped in. And I understand mm-hmm. why they're doing it to try to create an atmosphere for the players and whatnot. Sure. But when you're there, it is extremely distracting. It's like standing on the runway at an airport. It's just this giant, giant wave of white noise that you don't really get when you're watching the game on TV. But it is right. overwhelming when you're there in person. Like I said, it's a giant wave of white noise. And it's just a, you're there in a giant void. Like you talked about this when mm-hmm. you covered the uh, the playoffs, uh, the playoff bubble yeah. up in Edmonton. You're sitting inside the building. There's like five people in the whole lower bowl. And like, you know, you and I are there, but we're not hanging out and we're not talking. And it, it, the right. whole experience is not the same. You're three sections away from me. You know, I can't even see you. And uh just there's an experience, whether you're media or a totally. fan, there's an experience that comes with going to the game. For me, it starts when you get off the freeway, just like there's right. traffic and then you park and then, you <laughs> you know, you, you walk up to the building and there's all these fans and there's an energy and there's a buzz. And then you get inside and DB, you know, the difference between a Thursday night game against Florida and a, <laughs> and a Saturday night game <laughs> against the Sharks like the energy is just it's different you know it's a live event and that's not what this yeah. is this is like it's like watching practice but inside yeah, of an NHL arena just it's terrible DB what what's your opinion do you agree with any of this it's melancholy that's how I feel when I walk around yeah. and now that you weren't that cold last night but Jay there's been there's been nights when the breeze is blowing in that building and it really feels like it's 50 degrees and you really have to walk out into the concourse between periods because you just free, even if you wear a coat um, and, and you walk around those empty halls and it's, it's melancholy. It's depressing. It's not the natural state of hockey. It just, it's a cold reminder of how much the fans mean to this game, John. And I agree. It's not the same. It is like a, um, it's like a glorified practice. These are, these are real games that mean, mean things in the standings and for the race for the cup, but it's a, I, I'm like you. I feel privileged there, but there's certainly a sense of sadness every time I go to one of those games that say yeah. like, wow, man, like I don't care if it's 15, 20, 30 percent fans need to be in the buildings for the sport. And it's not because of revenue. It's because it what it's really what makes the sport. So yeah, it, it's a, it's a tough watch, John. It is. It's look, I'm not complaining. I'm at the top. We sit at the top of the uh, lower bowl. We have a desk with a monitor. The, the Kings have done a great <laughs> job accommodating yes. us. But yes. I would trade that in a minute to be back up in the press box and have 18,000 people at Staples Center cheering on the Kings. Yeah. You know, I thought about one other thing, uh, leaving the game last night, knowing that the next time that I returned to Staples Center, that there would be fans in the building. And I was just thinking, would it bother me as much going to an empty Dodger stadium and watching a baseball game without fans? You know, baseball and hockey, the two sports along with UFC that I personally love the most. 
and I, I don't, I can't say for sure, but I don't think it would bother me as much. Like I, something about being outdoors and outdoors, I'm watching yeah. the Dodger game and I'm, I'm having a Agreed. good time. I don't know. It doesn't, I don't think it would bother me. Would it bother you as much? Because it would, would it, would it be as sad as it is going to Staples Center? No, I mean, our, our love for the game is one reason why, but I agree the outdoor effect that you could sit there and Dodger Stadium, again, it's a palace, right? So, And they've made renovations there. And you could look out and see the mountains and stuff. So I, it would it would be an easier watch. It wouldn't be like I, I think it'd be less noticeable having fa- not having fans there as opposed to Stable Center where, you know, it's dark. It's just like you expect the roar when there's a fight and there's nothing. And, and the other thing, John, which is an advantage, but you hear the players on the bench yelling all the time, which you would never hear <laughs> with a crowd. Right. So that's a benefit. But it's I want to pass on the benefit. I want to go back to the old days where I can't hear the players. Some some benefits just don't live up to the hype. So, uh, look, it's you know, the great thing about this, Dennis, is that uh, hopefully it's never going to happen again in our lifetime. Hopefully this is the end. Uh, The next game, the next home game at Staples Center will feature. Uh, limited fans, but there will be fans back in the building and then it will build from there and more and more and more fans. And hopefully by the time the regular season starts in October of next year, we will have a full house at Staples Center once again. And you and I can can laugh and sit next to each other elbow to elbow the entire game and uh, share our stories and, and just do what, what it is that we do and enjoy the uh, enjoy covering the sport of hockey. Let's uh, let's take a quick break, DB. And on the other side of this, we'll be bringing in Kelly Cheeseman. He can tell us all about what Staples Center and the Kings have been doing to prepare for fans coming back into the arena on April 20th. We'll be back. Welcome back, second period. Uh, I need to make sure I get this job title right because I think I did it about wrong about three times the last time he was on the program, and he deserves a little more respect than that. Kelly Cheeseman, I believe you are the COO of the LA Kings and AEG Sports. Did I get it right this time? You got it right. You got it right, Johnny. Thanks. Okay. Fabulous. Well, good. Well, welcome back to the program. Uh, it's exciting to know that you had such a fun time the, the last time around that you wanted to come back and do it again, so thank you for that. <laughs> Well, you, you you got the voice of the fans, so I got I got to come here and talk to you guys. Well, I thank you for that. Uh, we do we certainly appreciate that, and we have uh, it, this is very timely, Cheese, because coming up next week is a very big step in this season, and that is the fact that the fans are going to be allowed back inside Staples Center. And one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is to sort of talk about that and talk through all the steps that have been taken to sort of, well, not maybe not all of them. We don't have that kind of time, but the <laughs> steps that have been taken to get to this point and some of the misconceptions as well, because I know that you guys are probably being inundated with questions. What about this? And what about that? And, and at the end of the day, uh, if I understand things correctly, this is not an LA Kings or a Staples Center or an AEG sort of thing. All of the rules and protocols, these are based upon government, you know, state, local guidelines. Is that correct? Yeah, it's exactly right. I mean, it's a combination of 
you know, the, 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 the leagues are involved in setting certain protocols that are put in place. And then you, you deal with the state allowing you to reopen um, based off of, you know, the reopening guidelines within your counties. They set those guidance. They issued them, I think, yesterday for for indoor events, which are specific to indoor live events versus outdoor live events, which are two distinctly different protocols. Um, and then from there, then the county has to put those protocols together and accept them. And they can go stricter, or but they can't go um, more lenient. But they can't go more lenient than what the, where the state's at. So it's it's a long it's a you know, it's a long process to kind of go through all those steps. The bottom line is, I think, I don't know when it was I on last time, boys, like six months ago, talking about reverse retro jerseys. And, uh, you know, we were talking about how far away we were for this step. And, you know, it's been a almost 400 days, I think, since since we've played a live game in Staples Center. And we're excited for that. You know, this, you know, coming into the process we're going to go through, these are not permanent procedures. Um, this is a step to get us back in and, you know, hopefully, you know, get some fans comfortable with getting back. And I think, you know, m- the more some come back, the more, you know, it'll build build some momentum um, for more and more to come back before end of the year and ultimately come back to a full building in the fall. Just, just so fans are aware that, that want to buy tickets and want to attend um, with respect to getting access to the building. It's it's 10 days or two weeks after your last. Fa- what, what are the three? Uh, permutations that you can get in the building with respect to testing or vaccinations. Yeah, so it's it's a negative uh, COVID nineteen test within seventy two hours. It can be either a PCR test or an antigen rapid test. Um, all within a seven. The the specimen has to be taken within seventy two hours of, of the game. So you just need print uh, print out of that um, that test result or a digital email is fine to show our staff or full vaccination from any of the three vaccinations um, per the CDC guidelines. So, you know, two weeks from your, your final shot is what is classified as full, fully vaccinated. So, so when people pass through that and they pass through the doors and they're in the building, like percentage wise of the normal game night experience, what will fans experience on April 20th? Yeah. So our, our max capacity with distancing, which is still, you know, still the core requirement is, you know, six foot minimum distancing uh, between the pod seating. Pod seatings will be in one, two. Um, we have some three pods and four pods. Um, so range one one to four is six foot distancing. What the max staple center can get to is about 20 to 22 percent capacity for all the, for all the teams. Uh, Lakers and Clippers are slightly higher because they have a little bit more capacity closer to the floor. Sure. Um, but there's there's also an, a few other things that fans will expect. I mean, the um, you can't be within 12 feet of the performance um, space. So you know they say performance because it could indicate a concert later. But so can't be tw- within 12 feet of the, the ice surface or the the basketball court. Um, independently with the NHL, we had the uh, if you guys remember when the the glass came out between behind the penalty boxes and behind the benches. Right. Fans can't be within 25 feet of that space. Um, the the tarps will still be in, but they'll be cut down a little bit. Um, so there's still going to be. It's not going to look not going to look fully normal yet, um, but it should it should be a fun environment for people to get back into. If I could follow up, so what would be the closest row fans would be sitting to the ice? 
if you could estimate. Yeah, I I, th- I don't know off the top of my head for sure, Dennis, but I I would say I would say it's about row eight. Um, okay. Uh, on you know in some of the sections, um, mm-hmm. the tarps will still be behind the benches. Those those rows right. will be up you know the top of section one hundred one. 102, one, you know, 103, 119. Um, but then as you get to like the penalty box side, one, 110, 112, people would be down mm-hmm. a little bit closer. So, cheese, let me ask you a question. Before we get too far into the excitement that's going to take place next week, what's it been like for you? You know, that's, that's like your second home. And I'm just curious, Dennis and I in the first period were talking about our experiences of walking into the building. And to be quite honest, it's been sad. I think melancholy yeah. was how Dennis described it. When, when we walk in, because we're used to the energy of that building, and we've heard from the players, but what about from you, as somebody who walks the halls and roams all the different you know levels, what's it been like for you to see that empty arena night after night as you walk around? It's strange. I mean, even going back to, to fanless events for the Galaxy earlier this summer, going into your first fanless event, and that, the, the fake crowd noise comes on the first time. Like, it's shocking. It's shocking that the emotion that you have with that, I, I think, you know, at times maybe we've become a bit jaded by it. We're like, oh, here comes the fake crowd noise. It's on, it's on and it's running. We got Go Kings Go in it now. And Dieter and Vic are doing an awesome job with the music. Um, so they've done a great job with it. But it's depressing, like, not to have the fans there. Um, you know, when the when the guys need it to, to pick them up to get through a moment, it's not there. I almost think that you see the road teams playing a little bit better than the home teams in all the venues until the fans are back. So it's really strange, but we've had some weird moments. I mean, there's been nights where I'm not going to lie, we're, we're digging through the back of the pantry and, and uh, Lexus club looking for some snacks and you know, just you know, doing, doing what we can to survive. It's a little bit of Lord, Lord of the flies until the fans get back here. So geez. Um, all right. So the fans right. are getting ready to come, come back. I'm sorry, DB. Yeah. I was just going to, fans are getting ready to come back in the, Go ahead. <laughs> Fans are getting ready to come back in the building. What is the overall experience going to be like in terms of are all the concession stands going to yeah. be open? Are all the bathrooms going to be open? Is everything going to be open? And there also is sort of this, from what I understand, inside, outside component to it where there's going to be, I don't know if it's if it's bars or video screens or what, but there's there's this whole outside sort of festival part that ties into the inside. So, so walk us through. Tell us about that. Yeah, that was a big part of the decision making. You're basically given two options by the state. You could go no testing, no vaccination proof, um, and have 10% capacity, but no food and beverage at all, um, which is just strange. Like nobody comes to a sporting event to not have, you know, some sort of food and beverage experience and hopefully a beer for you know a lot of people, especially after 400 days. Um, or we could go to, you know, up to 35% capacity and, and have food and beverage and pre-designated locations, but not in the bowl. So those are the kind of the core choices. So, you know, between us, the Lakers and Clippers and, and Staples Center, we're like, first of all, you know, from all of our um, surveying and, and data that's gone on for the past year, the number one item that all fans want coming back to the venue is to know that they're safe. And the first thing to do to make sure that the venue's safe is if it's a tested environment with people that are vaccinated, we know that that's the safest venue that we can provide independent of all the additional, you know, GBAC certifications, HVAC upgrades, you know, disinfectant, um, you know, processes that are going on, all the new upgrades that are 
had to make the venue touchless. That's that's the safest venue we can provide. It also allows us to get the most Kings fans in that we can for the end of the season uh, and then create a food and beverage experience that people would want. So while you can pre-order your food through their mo- your mobile device, pick up at the concession stands now, there'll be pre- pre-designated high top uh, locations on the concourses and then outside in Xbox Plaza and Star Plaza, We'll have the screen on, on on the side of Staples Center. We'll have food trucks outside. We'll have bars outside so people can hang out there, you know, watch the game, you know, eat their food and beverage. Maybe they watch one period, you know, outside and two periods inside. We're kind of, you know, recognizing that it's not going to be a full venue all the time. The crowd noise will still be pumped in in addition to the, you know, the, the, the cheers of the real fans. But like, let's make this an indoor, outdoor California experience while we've got it. Uh, and take advantage of what Staples Center and LA Live is all about. So it's it's not the normal experience, and it's not the permanent experience, um, but it's the we believe the best fan experience that we could possibly provide. You've been the point person for COVID nineteen protocols and like so. Over the last four hundred days that you talked about, how many conversations have you had with either the state or the the county or the health department? Jeez. I'd say, you know, there, there was a real dark period, Dennis, where we didn't talk to anybody probably for three or four months, uh, to be right. honest. Okay. I mean, especially in the, you know, there was a heavy period where we know case numbers in L.A. County were as bad as they got. And they were kind sure. of like, you know, and we wouldn't we needed to be respectful. We're not going to be talking to the county about that that period. But I I would just say just in the past two weeks, we've had a dozen conversations and then you know, going into the, the summer and, and prior to everything kind of take, you know, taking a tailspin in the fall, we were, we were on the, on calls at least once per week with various state, local officials, league officials, just getting to the right place and where these protocols were going to land. Jeez, when did this, when was the starting point here that you saw a light at the end of the tunnel and you started planning for April 20th? Um, you know, I think our first, re-engagement with the state was around the end of January and that's when vaccinations started getting rolled out um, and we saw the case numbers starting to get down Um, and you know really the state kind of reached back out to all the teams and and in particular Dan Beckerman who's our CEO has been you know he's he's been on the, the the statewide task force with the governor's office and they really saw AAG and our company as a resource to guide them in the direction of where they needed to head um, to make the, the choices on indoor and outdoor venues. And also thinking about where the music industry is at and where Coachella will be and, and you know, what needs to happen to make those viable businesses. Um, so it was around January we started getting more engaged. Um, you know, it just we needed to get to the right place. Um, from a from a uh, vaccination rollout perspective and, and numbers perspective to feel like you know we we're gonna get fans back it I, I'd say there was there was a number of days where I was like incredibly optimistic and we're gonna have 10 percent and and then there's other days I'm like there, there's no chance you know so wow. it's it's been a lot of emotions and ups and downs and you know, talking to fans, talking to our employees about that, like it's 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 been a lot for this for the year. And in many ways, geez, this is really only step one. I mean, when you start yeah. to look 
further out. You've said many times that this is not the, 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 the final you know, way that it's going to be. But so much is going to happen over the summer before we even yeah. get to opening night of next season. Like, at some point this summer, Staples Center might be back to full capacity for a concert, for example. And, and that would be another milestone, even though it's not related to hockey. It is related to hockey because it sets the stage for a full house next year come opening night. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, there's other teams in Staples Center in addition to us. We all hope we're playing late into the summer. Um but if there is a team playing in Staples Center in July, they, they might have a chance to get to a, a full venue. I, I think what you're going to see there, John Dennis, is probably proof of vaccination for indoor venues. Um, I, I don't know where we're going to see that with outdoor venues yet. Um, but, you know, the, the state was excited to share with us last week when the governor announced his, you know, beyond the blueprint uh, announcement that he's, he's looking to target, you know, mid-June as a, as a target date for kind of a full reopening, but with common sense protocols that will get adaptive businesses. So I think we'll still see masks in the middle of, of the summer inside of a venue like Staples Center. And we'll still see, you know, expected or common sense distancing and sanitization. But um, it seems like if all, all goes can continues to go well, um, we're on the right track here to, to be in a good place by the middle of the summer. All right. Well, you, you just mentioned good and you mentioned reverse retro uh, a few <laughs> minutes ago. So let's see if you'll, uh, if you will do us the honor. Can you confirm? I had reported a couple days ago that there's going to be another reverse retro game, which is really exciting because last night's game was scheduled to be the final reverse retro. No fans in the building. It's looking like uh, April 26th against the Anaheim Ducks another reverse retro night for the LA Kings. What do you say to that, Chiefs? Yeah, I, I'm going to confirm that. We've released that earlier today, but I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to give the fans the inside that that credit goes to you, John, for reaching out to me. Okay. I think the moment that we uh, we were we were announcing fans coming back before that we were even announcing how they were going to come back, you were like, we're going to get an, an extra reverse retro night. And I was like, honestly, my head wasn't even there yet. And I said, <laughs> you know what? That's a great idea. And we made it happen. So credit goes to you, John. So the fans owe well, that well, one to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And I know you can't confirm this next point, but it looks like now Blake's going to double down and make it an even bigger night because I reported yesterday as well that Quentin Byfield is on track to make his NHL debut that night. So what a night April 26th <laughs> could shape up to be. Fans in the building, Byfield making his NHL debut. I think things turned out okay when uh, another former Kings center debuted against the Anaheim Ducks back in 2006 so no pressure on young QB if that ends up happening Dennis. <laughs> that is a lot of no, pressure man. but geez <laughs> no more no more production of the jerseys though that's that's a dumb yeah game. it's 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 unfortunate I think every yeah. team in the league would want more 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 jerseys mm-hmm. there's a number of reasons for that I mean you know there's a whole lot going on in the production chain in the world of sure world right now and and you know I think Adidas took a you know long hard look at that for and this was 30 31 teams that wanted more jerseys right. um and the reality was they it just couldn't get done in in a servable time where the jerseys are still relevant even though you know i think fans would buy them when they're they're there but you know nobody's gonna be wearing those jerseys next year how about the bally's contract um one thing that's gone on since the last time you were on the program is uh, the, the stations have then changed over, right? It's gone now, Bally's West. And uh, we were seeing a different look on the screens, especially with the 
with the ticker there along the bottom. What's, what's your take on how things have transitioned over there with Bally's? Yeah, you know, it's been a pretty smooth transition. I mean, in general, it's the same team, same people we're working with. Unfortunately, Lindsay just, who was the GM, Lindsay Amstutz, who was the GM of, of LA and San Diego, who was, you know, a, to me, she's a mentor and confidant in, in the sports industry. She took a, she took an awesome opportunity and, and went to a new company at one team. Um, outside of that production, the team, the people we work with, it's just kind of an, it's all been the same. Um, just new look, new feel. Um, they have new bosses. We, we were hosting them at the game last night, Steve Rosenberg and Rob Weisold uh, from Bally's. They were at the game last night. Um, great people. Um, they have a keen eye on where, um, you know, where s- sports television is going and, and, you know, looking at, you know, the regional networks as well as thinking about direct to consumer and over the top and, you know, and having valleys in line with them around where sports gambling will likely land eventually. They've got a keen eye on kind of where all that's going. So I think fans... In the long run, they're going to see some pretty innovative things from them, and they they'll put on a, a great production. And I think they'll even hear the fans when um, you know. Sometimes I, I'm seeing the the feedback on the ticker at the bottom. I know I know that's a concern. And I'm sure I'm sure they'll listen to it because I think number twenty was concerned about that ticker on the bottom as well. <laughs> you know, the middle O in your title is operations. So just. Over the past year, Chiefs, how, how difficult has it been to maintain staff, have to let go staff, hiring people back? Like that process of, of keeping the organization running during these tough times. It's a, been the toughest, you know, tranche of my, you know, 20 years with the organization. I mean, we've been through two lockouts. And I think when I we walked out the door of our office on March 14th, I was like, you know, this is from the NHL's team perspective, I kind of had the playbook of, having a pause season and what, what that would look like. I don't think we, we, I don't think we saw 400 days before fans were going to come back and live entertainment basically just kiboshed. Um, yeah. I mean, as a company, we're the largest sports entertainment company in the world. And most of that is around live entertainment. And right. you, when you shut all that down, independent of the strength of our balance sheet and, you know, the, the massive real estate, it's it's a pretty massive hit, and uh, you know it's it's tough to go through that with employees. We've lost some really really good people that have had to go to other in- industries. Uh, we've had to make tough cutbacks and furloughs and things like that, and those aren't easy to do. But I think the reality is most of the world's gone through that this past year, and um, I think coming out of the other side of it, a lot of businesses will be better. Um, I think a lot of the employees. Um, we'll be stronger for it. And I think our company and our team and our organization will be stronger for it as well. So it's, it's to answer it, it's been extremely tough. A lot of really tough decisions. Um, but we're looking forward to getting through the end of this year and, and getting into a strong 2021-22. Jeez, really appreciate you taking some time to, to join us here today and talk about what is really an exciting day on the calendar. It's funny because normally when the NHL season you know, calendar comes out, you circle sort of certain things, right? Certain games, you circle the trade deadline, you know, different things that are going on. Nobody really circled, hey, this is the game where, you know, fans are going to be welcomed back into the building, probably because we didn't know, but it is now that we know it's exciting. Uh, So two final questions. One would be, I'm not going to give away the location, but you have your favorite little perch that you like to hang out at Staples Center and, and watch things from. Have you 
started to mentally get there yet and visualize standing in that location, looking out into the arena, and even though it won't be full, but actually seeing fans back in the building. Have you have you mentally done that exercise yet? I don't know if I've thought about the fans being there yet, but I've I've definitely gone back to my my little perch a few times. In fact, the other night, what I you know what I've had a lot of fun doing this the last. Uh, month of games or so as I've just wandered around the building and sat in different seats all over from the 300 level to the 200 level to the premiere. It was kind of, kind of cool. You know, Lee Zeidman and myself were kind of opening up doors. Nobody's ever opened in 20 years too. So it's kind of, it's like a little bit of Lord of the flies, but you know, we're looking forward, looking forward to fans coming back so that we can all get to our spot. Yes, definitely some different doors were open because some of those cargo doors on the, uh, the cargo elevators on the lower level, you never see them. But yeah. I'm walking through last night and I'm seeing like, hey, look at that cargo elevator right there. So it was that part was funny. Uh, last thing in then here would just be, uh, you know, you've been so open with us and explaining what's going on. What, what's your message to the fans as they get ready to come back inside Staples Center, their home away from home? For that first game, what's your message to the fans? If they're ready, and we're ready for you, and we recognize that everybody's not ready yet, um, we recognize that it's easier to come with a vaccination than it is with a test. And and uh, if you're if you're not there yet, that's that's fine. We'll be here in the fall for you. But we have a safe environment, and we're ready to take care of everybody. And just can't wait to get everybody back. Couldn't have said it better, Chase. Can't wait to get everybody back in the building. So. Thanks again for joining us, and uh, I'm sure we'll see you running around the stapler soon. We appreciate you coming by, Cheese. Thanks, guys. Thanks for all your support, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you guys. Well, I have seen you guys in person, but <laughs> we'll see you in person with the fans next week. Looking forward to this. Yeah, sounds good. We'll be back after the break. We'll talk a little bit more about that. In just a few are blooming, the grass is growing, and it's time to chop the weeds. Thanks to our sponsor, Manscaped, you can trim up safely and efficiently. I'm talking about your private yard, not the yard in front of your house. Manscaped, the global leaders in men's below-the-waist grooming, have an exclusive offer for our audience. Use code K-O-T-P-N-E-W to get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Join the other 2 million men who trust Manscaped. They're here to make sure you are trimmed and smelling nice. After all, it's time for some spring cleaning. As we've talked about plenty here on Kings of the Podcast, Manscaped has the best tools to get you ready. Manscaped have forever changed the grooming game with their amazing products. They're here to help us and they're here to help you. Have you heard of their Weed Whacker? This nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology, which helps prevent nicks, snags, and tugs in those delicate holes. No more gross nose hairs flying in the wind. 
They also have the Crop Preserver, their anti-chafing deodorant and moisturizer. It's starting to get hot outside, guys. Now is the time. You'll also find the Crop Reviver, which is their spray-on toner. will keep you smelling fresh down there, just like spring flowers. And don't forget the new refined cologne signature scent by Manscaped. This stuff is legit and will have you smelling like royalty. Smell good, feel good this spring. Do yourself a favor and always use the right tools for the job. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code K-O-T-P-N-E-W at manscaped.com. It's spring cleaning, baby. Get to it. Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the mayor. All right, welcome back, third period, DB. I want to get your reaction to Kelly Cheeseman and uh, what we just experienced there in the second period. But before we do, I I want to just make a quick reference to the music. It's such a big part of the show, DB. At the end of the first period there, we were playing Metallica, Turn the Page. You know, uh, I didn't want to be callous. It's just it is part of the business, and Jeff Carter is no longer part of the LA Kings, and so we certainly wish him well in Pittsburgh. But it is time to turn the page, so that song certainly felt appropriate. And uh, they're talking with Kelly Cheeseman and and the vaccinations and getting fans back in the – in the stands hopefully you appreciated there uh, some hit me with your best shot and then i do have a, a nice <laughs> song teed up here for the outro today a brand new track from mick jagger and dave grohl so two uh rock and roll legends for you there db what do you what do you think what's on your mind right now about uh the conversation we have with cheeseman well there are some people that are smooth and other are smooth with a ve at the end and that's kelly cheeseman he's he always has the right answer, seems, John. He always seems so prepared to, to come talk to us and, and go in depth and have as much disclosure as you would want from a CEO of a, a sports company. So I just commend him for coming on. He threw you a compliment, which was awesome. That was great about the uh, reverse retro. But it's always refreshing to talk to Kelly. And it's no surprise that the level of uh, uh, that he's achieved with the AEG um, uh, with respect to, you know, his humble starts, right? You can just reinforce, like, John – what was your first contact with Kelly Cheeseman? He was a season ticket rep for the Kings way back in the day, 20 years ago. And so it is, to me, he's just cheese, you know, but it's funny because he is such a big shot. He's a big deal as the COO yep. of the LA Kings and of, and of AEG, this this AEG sports, I should say, this big, you know, yes. worldwide uh, company. And they have they have a sports team in, in Berlin, over in Germany, the ice hockey team over there. And, you know, he's involved with that. And so he's just, uh, he's somebody who's very knowledgeable and, when you're around an organization for that long, there's a lot of tribal knowledge as well. So being involved right, in the right. inner workings for 20 years and working sure. his way up through various departments, he has a unique perspective that it's not just about hiring somebody from another corporation and bringing them in and giving them a big job title and then expecting them to know everything. He's He's been there and been involved and done a lot of these jobs. And so he's able to speak very eloquently about it. And uh, we, we appreciate his uh, you know, the fact that he's so willing to come on the program, he's been on a number of times now and, and open up and share things with us. Yeah, John, it's about um, it's about drafting and developing, right? <laughs> In every <laughs> facet of business. <laughs> Absolutely. It's also about relationships. That is something you and I have spoken about on this program and privately totally, many, John. many times. So we uh, we appreciate that. And yes, thank you to Cheese for for the tip of the cap there. And I'm happy fans. You're getting a reverse retro jersey in the stadium or in the arena, I should say. You'll be able to uh, to attend the games and, and watch those. And man, if it all comes together, Dennis, how perfect would that be? Byfield, the reverse retro fans in the stands. Oh, yeah. uh, it's, it's amazing. Um, look, let's, let's uh, put uh, the final cap 
exclamation point, if you will, on our earlier conversations from the first period about Jeff Carter and uh, Alex Iafalo. We have always asked sure. for feedback from the listeners. We wanted to include them. They've been a big part of Kings of the Podcast from the very beginning. And so we put two polls out this week to get fan reaction uh, to the moves that were made. And so uh, let's just go through them first. The first one was on the Jeff Carter trade to Pittsburgh. And we gave three options. Number one, was it a fair deal for both sides? Number two, did they need to get more for Jeff Carter in return? Number three, he's a core five player and he should, he should have stayed. DB, I have to tell you, I was shocked at the results because fans in general tend to vote with their heartstrings and that's okay. That's what makes them fans. And here people voted. It looked like with their heads instead of their hearts, because 68% said that it was a fair deal for both sides. That's an overwhelming number. Uh, 68%. So roughly, you know, uh, call it, call it 70%. The other 30%, they split the votes largely going towards, they needed to get more for Jeff Carter. 20% of the people said they needed to get more for Jeff Carter and 11%. They just couldn't do it. <laughs> they just had to vote with their heart. The, the 11% said, Hey man, core five player should have stayed forever. And that's fine. I, nothing against those people, but I want to, I want to hone in on the, the second group there. DB 20% of the people said they needed to get more for Jeff Carter. And I'm struggling with this. And, and so I need someone to try to build a logical case for this. They received two conditional draft picks for Jeff Carter a third and a fourth round pick. The third round pick this year could upgrade to a second round pick if the Penguins make the Stanley Cup final and Carter plays in half the games. And then next year, the fourth round pick could upgrade to a third round pick if he plays in 50 games next year. So forget about the conditions, though. Just on the surface. Yeah. They picked up a third rounder and a fourth rounder. Is that enough for Jeff Carter? Yes, it's fair. Come on. Yeah. Taylor Hall got a second in Anders Bjork, and he's 29 years old. Jeff's, what, 36? I mean, come on. He had a 10-year run here. You're going to get two assets for a player who, as you as we mentioned, is you're now clearing a path for one of the youngsters to come in and, and take that 16 minutes a night. That That's where we are right now, so I have no problem with the return. Look, and, John, it could elevate, right? If, if they go to the Stanley Cup final, um, if he plays 50 games next year, uh, it, it could it could. It could advance to something even better. But I think two assets for that player where he is at the stage in his career and where the Kings are on the development curve, I think it's more than fair. Yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic deal. I mean, again, you, getting two assets back for Jeff Carter, a third and a fourth round pick, fine. Mo, more importantly than anything, though, they've created that extra roster spot because they have too many players signed. We've talked about this before, 49 contracts. Yes, some of them are right. going to fall off this summer. Guys like Drake Rimshaw won't be around anymore. There are a couple of other players who probably won't be given qualifying offers, and it'll help clear up a little bit of this stuff. And maybe some players will be traded over the, the summer, packaged in a deal perhaps to get some additional stuff. So things are going to move around, but it is important that they're creating a roster spot. So uh, I'm not sure what those 20% thought or what they we're expecting to get back for Jeff Carter in 2021. Yep. This is not Jeff Carter of 2015. Um, but hey, best of luck to, in in Pittsburgh to uh, to number 77. Totally. And hey, I'll tell you what: if you're an LA Kings fan, you should be cheering for the Pittsburgh Penguins to make it to the Stanley Cup final this year. Because <laughs> if they do, and Carter plays in half the games, then uh, that third round pick becomes a second round pick. And I don't think there's a person. Uh, in, uh, in management of any hockey team out there that would have told you that Jeff Carter in some sort of a package was going to net a second round pick. That, that'd be a right. hell of a return for Jeff Carter. So uh, good on good on them for doing that. The second uh, tweet that we had out there, DB, was about the Alex Iafalo contract. This one is equally uh, interesting to me. There were four options given when we asked fans how they felt about the Iafalo contract. Number one, 
Are you okay? Like it's, you're fine with the deal. Number two, you absolutely love the deal. Number three, four years is too long. And number four, the 4 million AAV is too much. And here's how the, the votes came in. 55% said they're okay. They're fine with the deal. 25% said they absolutely love it. So if you combine those two, just from like a, hey, uh, these people are satisfied with the deal, either slightly satisfied or greatly satisfied. You know, you've, you've seen those surveys before. Add the 55 yes. and the 25 together there, Dennis. And uh, what is that? 60, 80, uh, 80%, 80% of yep. the people, they like the deal. So what about the other 20%? Well, the main sticking point for those other 20% of the people was 12% of them uh, said that the 4 million AAV was too high. I mean, okay, we covered that before. Uh, you could go 3-5. Right. That would have been great. But, you know, they're not overpaying him at $4 million, Dennis. Not if he's a 50-point player, John. If he's 22 and 28, that's a bargain at $4 million. So I, I don't know what those people are thinking about. you got to look at the actual numbers and the productivity. And on that, John, he's improved his production every year. If you look at mm -hmm. it, it's, it's, a, it's a straight line up. It, it's not that much more over last season, but he increases every year, and he's 27 years old, so you're going to get that. And they're going to take him to 31 now. Is he going to be here at the end of his contract at 32 years old? I don't know about that, but certainly at that level of production, um, four million AAV is a great deal. Well, the other thing too, Dennis, is that last year with the truncated season and this year, again, with a modified number of games, mm -hmm. it really skews things to where the average fan just likes to throw out numbers and not really look at things um, on a comparable basis. Because last right, year's right. numbers, if you, if you uh, do a prorated thing, you know, or if you, excuse me, if you extrapolate them out over what it would look like over an 82 game season, that was a 20-goal season from Alex Iafalo. And yeah. this year's numbers, he's on pace for the equivalent of a 23-game. It's a 23-goal right. season. So 20-goal yep. score last year, 23-goal score this year. So if he comes back next year, hypothetically, and just does, let's say he puts up 25 goals, hypothetically. Mm -hmm. If he does that and there's a full 82 games, um, I think people will be looking back on this contract with a different lens than they are right now. So, all right, enough on Carter. John, it's have, like the – Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it's like the Kempe contract. If Adrian, <laughs> Kempe scores, <laughs> right, if Adrian Kempe scores 20 goals next year at $2 million – like that's the mm -hmm. best value contract in the league. As much as I harp on the guy, like that's the best value contract in the league. And that's that you have to look at context, a great word we use all the time. And you have to look at the comparables. So, so just look, I know the guy is a streaky goal scorer, but if he gets 18 to 20, two mil, come on, stop it. Like it's a, it's a great deal. And so, just like this, John, 50 point score and you're going to get four million a year for the guy for the next three or next four. Come on. You do that every time. Yeah. I need to go back and search through my tweets and find out what I tweeted out the day when they signed Kempe for $2 million, because I do in my head, at least I remember saying what a bargain value contract that was. And I uh, congratulated Rob Blake on, on another solid contract. He's been really smooth. You talk about smooth. He's been smooth on the contracts. DB. Yeah. He hasn't been handing yeah. out the money this, the same way that no. Dean Lombardi would, uh, would sort of go cuckoo sometimes and do uh, Blake's been pretty solid on the deals. Cause and he's less remember. loyal, John. He doesn't have the same loyalty that Dean <laughs> that, did. That must be it. You're right. That must be it. He's not, <laughs> is loyal but i just remember, remember a few of the people telling me that i was crazy at the time that you know he's not worth two million dollars so i don't know i i, I love people okay. uh they crack me up um yes. dennis let's let's move on there were a couple of important articles that came out this week on mayorsmanner.com that really highlighted the direction of the la kings franchise moving forward and so the first one i want to talk about is the expansion article i can't even believe that i'm about to say this dennis we are 90 days away 90 days away from the Seattle Kraken being an actual team. We've been talking about this team for years, DB. 
Weren't they two years away, like last week? Now all of a sudden they're 90 yes. days away? N- 90 days away. So a little more than 90 for those that are out there that are very technical yeah. because July 21st is when the expansion draft is going to take place. And it's important to remember that every team other than Vegas uh, is going to lose one player. So Vegas is excluded. People can say, oh, it's not fair. Why is that? Well, Vegas does not get to partake in the uh, $5 bazillion that uh, they're paying to join the league. Uh, that's Seattle, that is. Seattle's paying you know a bunch of money to join, and that expansion fee goes to the other owners. It does not go to Vegas. This was predetermined. This has nothing to do with the league right. protecting Vegas or being happy that they made the Stanley Cup final. All yeah, of these rules were put right. in place. <laughs> that's coming back, Dennis. You're going to hear all about this. The more and more, pe- the more people find out that Vegas does not get to participate in the expansion draft, the people are going to lose their minds. But uh, <laughs> and we're going to have to repeat this over and over. Hey, everybody! All of these rules were put in place before Vegas ever played their first game. When they first came into the league, the NHL had already ironed all of this out because they knew they were going to be adding right. a 32nd team. So Vegas is excluded. Putting that aside, every team is going to lose one player. And um, from what we understand, uh, from the intel that we've gathered, the Kings don't have a real appetite to pull off some of those trades where they deal a second asset to you sure. know, force Seattle to take a certain player or anything like that. Smart. The Kings are going to do what they did last time. Uh, Rob Blake uh, told me at the time, and, and I tweeted it out back before the Vegas expansion draft, that he was comfortable with just putting his list together. He knew he was going to lose one player, and that was going to be the player that they would lose, and they would just absorb that loss, and they would have to move forward. But they weren't going to deal a second asset to, you know, uh, as part of yeah. the process, you know, and lose, lose like two Like Anaheim did with Shea Theodore. Oh, don't get me started on that one. Or like, I, I, or I, like I, Florida did. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They're not, they're not interested in that. So here, here's the deal, DB. The important thing for people to know is that when it comes to the expansion draft, that teams have the option of going two ways. And under, under either scenario, you have to protect a goaltender and you have to expose a goaltender. So just sort of forget right. that for a moment, okay? Not talking about sure. the goalies. Everybody knows in LA what's happening. They're protecting Peterson and Quick will be exposed. End of story. If you don't know why, read the article. The, what, the A and B option is this, Dennis. Option A is eight skaters. It doesn't right. matter their position. So you can take any combination of forward and defenseman, eight skaters. The other option is that if you want to specify and only take three, only protect, I should say, only protect three defensemen, then you can protect seven forwards. So in total, you get 10 instead of getting just the eight. Now, the Kings are leaning from what I've been able to gather. They're leaning towards the three plus seven, which basically means that Kale Clegg ends up getting exposed. Just hear me out for a second and walk, I'll walk you through all this. If they were to protect Clegg, then they, what they would do is uh, they would have to go with option A, which is the eight skaters, and they would go with Dowdy, Walker, uh, Matt Roy, Clegg, and then four forwards. Four forwards. And right. instead, they're choosing to go the other way, which is to do three defensemen, which would be Dowdy, Roy, and Walker, and then they can do seven forwards. Now, that does mean that Kel Clegg ends up being exposed in the draft if he's still a member of the LA Kings. I personally believe that they would be more likely to trade him in advance of that because sure. he would be a great candidate to be taken if he's left exposed. And so right. why would they just give away such a valuable asset when they could probably trade him uh, if they could, you know, they would certainly try to and get something back in return for him. And they have other players to expose. So putting the Clegg issue mm-hmm. aside, again, it's all in the article. People can read it and they can become educated and sort of understand the process. This is what I wanted to talk about, Dennis. After they protect those three defensemen, that leaves seven forwards. And so the seven forwards that I have in the article that I believe are the seven they're going to protect would be Kopitar, Kempe, Ayafalo, Double A, 
uh, who they're closing in on a two-year contract with right now. Uh, I'm talking about Athanasiu. So uh, Kopitar Kempe, Ayafalo, Double A, uh, Leah Sanderson, who they traded a second-round pick for to get, and he's uh, sure. you know in with the Ontario Reign right now. And then uh, Grundstrom, and then Trevor Moore. And, you know, a couple of months ago, I would have argued that Trevor Moore probably wasn't going to be on this list, but he is now. And certainly he made his case with uh, his two goal performance against Vegas the other night. There's a little more offense that's there with uh, Trevor Moore. And I want to talk about him in a moment. But with that list, I look at that and I go, you know, Dennis, if I was the L.A. Kings, I would protect Dustin Brown. And that's what this is what I wanted to get your reaction Mm -hmm. to. I think and people think I'm crazy when I say this because they're like, well, wait a minute. Dustin Brown was left unprotected in the Vegas draft and Vegas didn't take him. Yeah, you're right. That did happen. Uh, but the point is, you if you leave him exposed now, sure, Seattle's probably not going to take him, right? They're probably going to take a younger player, someone they think that has a longer a longer upside or a longer road with you know more upside or whatever, right? And they don't like his, well, his contract could help them actually to get to the cap floor, but that's not where I'm going. Right. My point is this, though. Even if there's a 5% chance that they were to take Dustin Brown, why would you want to, as the team is about to make major improvements this summer, that's what we think uh, Blake's going to do, right? Why would you want to lose mm-hmm. that player and his leadership and his experience? He's been, he's been admirable over the last couple of years. He's had a resurgence over the last couple of years. And you really almost want to guarantee that he is going to finish his career as a member of the LA Kings these other players, they, they, you know, I don't mean this disparagingly, but they're kind of fringe players. They're bottom six players. Yeah, like you're are. telling me that they can't replace one of these other players and keep Dustin Brown. I'm, I'm lobbying to keep Dustin Brown on the protected list, just in the 5% chance, 1% chance that Seattle would take it. The question is, is he one of the 10 best skaters on the team? He is with clearly. And you talk about the lack of scoring. You'd want to, I would hope you'd want to keep your top line intact, John, for next season, at least to start. Like the, that's the base that you build off of. Like that, I think that's what you want to do. I, I don't. I, I would. I agree with you. Carl Gunstrom over Dustin Brown. I don't get. Carl hasn't shown me much, John. To be honest with you, this season, no offensive punch. Um, gets run over once in a while, and they call him Tonka. So uh, that would not be the choice for me. And I get the logic of not protecting him, but I, I get why risk it, John. That's the question. Why are you going to risk that move and then have to go find another winger who's been productive, who had a great year, who's helped this power play? Like there's so many, I could give you 10 reasons to keep him and probably two not to protect or, or protect him and two probably not to, right? That yeah. the odds are yeah, they wouldn't select him. But again, you're talking about the 11th player who on this team is a fringe player. So why not just, have the insurance policy, protect them. And if you lose Carl Grundstrom or whoever is the yard man out on that uh, seven and three distribution, you take your chance. I'd rather risk him than Dustin Brown. And and that is really where I'm going with this. If, if, if they end up taking a Carl Grundstrom, let's say, and you have to replace that player, I'd like to believe it's easier to replace Carl Grundstrom than it is to replace Dustin Brown. I, I, as crazy as it sounds on the surface, the more we talk it through and sort of logic our way into it, I think it makes a lot of sense to keep Dustin Brown. And with Jeff Carter, again, one of the core five recently being traded, you know, you really need that leadership. I I just, I'm not ready yet. I don't think as an organization, if I'm the LA Kings to let, Ayafalo and Kempe and Matt Roy, you know, kind of take over yet. They're, they're getting there. 
but they're just mm-hmm. they're, they're not there yet. This is still Kopitar's team. This is still Brown's team. This is still Dowdy's team. Uh, I guess it's kind of like I follow on the top line until somebody comes along and rips those letters off their chest and, you know, puts it on their chest. Uh, it's it's not time yet, Dennis. So I and John, you just put the letter back on Brown. I assume he's going to keep it. I don't think it's just a, a temporary thing. And now you're going to expose him and risk him losing. I mean, what's the optics on that? Like you just, uh, well, you, un- you know, I, you- I actually disagree with you there. I, I don't okay. think that he'll have the letter this year. I understand the reasons this year because the younger guys aren't ready to do it, but I think it is time next year. No disrespect to Dustin Brown ever, ever, ever. Okay. Anybody who's ever read an article on Dustin Brown on mayor's manor knows that I, do not mean any disrespect to Dustin Brown. And they understand, you know, how you feel about him, how I feel about him and what he means yeah. to the organization. But it's time. It's time to now start that process of putting a letter on somebody else. And the only. Well, who would you put the letter on? I was, I was just going to tell you, Dennis, the only challenge that I have with my own thinking <laughs> is that I can't give you the name of the player because I wouldn't put a letter on Kempe. I wouldn't put a letter on mm-hmm. Ayafalo. I know the yeah. guys I want to put the letter on if I'm Rob Blake and if I'm You're Todd McCullen. They're too young, and that's exactly my whole too point. Young. I mean, if the, yeah. if the whole team was young, and then you know you're like, hey, you know what? The whole team's young. We're going to grow up together. We're going to do it together, which is what they did with like Copa a Brady Kachuk in Ottawa or something like yeah, that. Yeah, if you do something like that, fine. But that's not where this team yeah. is. So I mean, Agreed. I guess maybe yeah. you let Brown wear it for one more year, and then you have to see where he goes from there. And you know, at that point, sure. you hope that one of those other kids. But uh, yeah, Mikey Anderson is not ready to get his letter yet, and Jod's not no. ready to get his letter yet. So uh, we'll have to see. So that that's an article there. Very important thing to keep an eye on. How are they going to construct sure. the expansion list? Um, and then my my last comment about these players here, I just want to tell a brief story about Trevor Moore because Please. I was sitting nearby, not next to anybody anymore, but uh, the other night at the game, I was near <laughs> a uh, an AGM and the uh, an assistant general manager from another team in the uh, in the NHL. And after the game, we were making small talk and. Um, He's like, oh, wow, you know, Trevor Moore, you know, had a good game tonight. And I said, yeah, you know, it's kind of surprising. He has shown more offense this year than what I expected coming into the season. And he goes, yeah, you know, watching his game, he really seems to have matured from his time in Toronto. His game has matured. And uh, it's, it's been a pleasant surprise. And I said, yeah, you know, another interesting aspect is the fact that he really seems to have some chemistry with Jared Anderson Dolan, number 28. And um, I said that kind of, you know, just surprises me because, they didn't play together in Ontario at all to develop any of that chemistry. They just sort of met and instantly had this, this chemistry. And um, he said, yeah, you know, it is funny how it works that way with, he was just making an offhanded comment. It didn't mean anything to him. He probably will forget this comment, but it resonated with me at the time. He said, uh, it's funny because some players, they need to play together for half a season or a season to develop chemistry when they're line mates and other players, you just randomly put them together in practice. And for whatever reason, they feed off of each other and they have that it sort works. of chemistry. And it really got me to thinking because that is sort of one of the issues that the Kings are up against is that many of their young players are in Ontario right now trying to build this chemistry and they're rotating right. the lines to try to find the chemistry within that group. Um, and then there are other guys that are playing together forever, you know, uh, you know, in LA and, and the chemistry's there, but then maybe sometimes we see that the chemistry is not there. Like to me, it was obvious that there wasn't chemistry between Carter and Velarde. You needed to get those two right. separated. Um, and with other guys, maybe, you know, Ferk and Velarde, you, you saw instant chemistry. So it is, chemistry is weird. It's, it's weird. Uh, that's all I just wanted to say about that. It was, you know, intangibles. That's why they're intangibles, John, right? You can't really put your finger on it. You just have to go. It's a feel. That's what Mm -hmm. coaches do. There's a feel you put it together and sometimes it'll work and sometimes it doesn't, but Hey, good on Trevor Moore, man, because he's, he's brought some, if, if you can get 14 goals from him on the bottom six, 
I mean, he's found a home here. Like I, I, yes. I wrote an article for fourth period here. And it's like, he's found, he's refound a home in his hometown. It's basically what he did because <laughs> he's from thousand Oaks. So, Oh, he's from thousand Oaks. Clips. I didn't know that. He's so he's from Southern California. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You knew that. I, yes. It's the, the no, old Matt Nieto joke about long. Matt game. Nieto. Here we for, go. Yes. For, for whatever reason, whenever they reference certain players, they always have to say where they're from. Like, yeah, Trevor Moore from thousand Oaks. Oh yeah. Okay. Really? Like, yeah. you know, Matt Nieto from long beach. I don't know. Nobody long ever beach. says Dustin Brown from Ithaca, New York. Like nobody ever says no, that. never. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, all right. So the next important article, DB, uh, this week, very important yeah. article, and I encourage all of our listeners to read it because you, you need to understand these sort of rules that the uh, that the Kings, that the franchise, it, and all NHL teams are working with. So everybody that earlier this week, DB, was focused on the trade deadline and what happens at noon and players can't move after that. But really, there there are some secondary rules related mm-hmm. to that trade deadline that take place, and one of them has to do with roster movement. And most years we're talking about what that means for the American League, because in order to be eligible most years for the Calder Cup playoffs in the AHL, players have to be on the AHL roster by noon that day. And if they're not on the AHL roster, then you can't send players down to the AHL later. And the reason for that is quite simple. If you were an NHL team and you kept all of your good guys up on the, uh, the NHL roster, and then the last couple of days you fall out of the playoffs, you then can't send all of your players back to the American league and stock up and load up your team uh, for the playoffs. So it's considered to be an unfair advantage. But if you, if your player was on the uh, AHL roster at the time, and then, you know, even if he was called up later to the NHL, you can still send him back to the American League because on that day he was considered an American League uh, player. And so you often see what we call sure. paper transactions where guys are sent down. And um, I think I've mentioned this before that Jared Anderson Dolan, as an example, probably would have been sent back down in a regular year and been on the Ontario right. roster so that if the Kings didn't make the playoffs and the rain did, that he then could have participated right. in the playoffs right. this year. That didn't happen because the AHL is not going to have playoffs, and that's also not what we're here to talk about, Dennis. What we are here to right. talk about is something uh, a little bit different, and that is that anybody who was on the NHL roster uh, at noon on Monday, from that point forward, they have to remain on the NHL roster for the remainder of the year. They can't be sent down to the American League, mm-hmm. and... Another rule that a lot of people don't know is that teams only get four call-ups from the American League. So that article that I put out earlier this week, after doing some digging and getting some intel, what I was able to find out is that Matt Luff and Christian Willannon, uh, were they were on the NHL roster at noon, mm-hmm. which yeah. means that they are going to now remain on the NHL roster for the balance of the season. Whether they play or not, it doesn't matter, but they're going to be on the NHL roster. They won't be sent to taxi because taxi is just like the American League. Um, players can move back and forth between taxi and the AHL all day long, and you'll see that still mm-hmm. going on. But only four players can move from AHL slash taxi. Only four players can move up to the NHL roster. And the Kings had to move immediately one player up to the NHL roster because of the absence of Matt Roy and Toby Bjornfoot. Mm-hmm. They called up Kale Clegg. So they have already right. used one of their four call-ups. And in the article, I talk about the fact that there's a thing about emergency call-ups. And people have asked, well, wait a minute. It was because of injury that Kale Clegg came up. Why wasn't he an emergency call-up? Well, you don't really normally have emergency call-ups until you've used your four call-ups because right. it really isn't an emergency right. if you have an available call-up spot, right? They used it. And so Clegg was called up. 
And that also means that Clegg is now eligible to go back to the American League if needed here over the balance of the season. And he most likely will. I'm not saying it's a guarantee, but he most likely will. Uh, because mm-hmm. when Matt Roy and or when Bjornfoot in, are inserted into the lineup, which will be coming up here hopefully in the next couple of days, Bjornfoot probably in the second game of the trip, and I would imagine that uh, Matt Roy would be cleared right after the trip. So in the next two or three games, you could have both of those guys back in the lineup, and that means that more than likely, Kale Clegg would be scratched. So why would you keep him around? You would be better off sending him back to the American League and letting him um, letting him get experience playing where Christian Wolanin, you can't send him back because he's officially part of the NHL roster. They probably didn't right. want to have Wolanin on the roster, but those injuries came at a really unfortunate sure. time right before that deadline. And so that's how those two guys ended up there. So where I'm going with all of this, Dennis, is not only about Kale Clegg, but with one of those removed, that means the Kings only have three call-ups that are left. Mm-hmm. And I was able to gather some additional intel uh, at least on one of those three call-ups, and that is that Quentin Byfield, we've talked about all year long, Quentin Byfield appears uh, to be on the precipice of coming to the National Hockey League. From what I understand, he is, he's going to be called up, probably placed on the taxi squad. He's going to practice with the team for about a week. This should happen right after they get back from Colorado. He'll spend about a week practicing with the team, and he is tentatively set to make his NHL debut on April 26th against the Anaheim Ducks, Dennis. Play the kids. <laughs> That's your only comment. Play the kids. This one. Play the kids. Let's go. Okay. No, hey, look, it's, it's, it'll be great. It'll be great to see him in a Kings uniform playing at Staples Center in his first pro season. That's, that helps his development. Um, and of course, you've mentioned the number of games that, and certainly with 14 or 13, whenever he gets into that game, he's not going to play more than half the games, obviously, because you don't want to burn that, uh, First level, mm-hmm. uh, first year of the ELC, but it'll be great to see him in uniform and uh, playing up here. What up the other two, John? What do you got? Well, real quickly, before we get to the other two, I do just want to mention for fans that don't really watch the Ontario Reign very closely, uh, at this present time, Arthur Kaliev and uh, uh, Quentin Byfield are tied for the team lead in points, which is rather remarkable because Byfield did get off to a slow start, not to be unexpected. Yeah. He's a young player. He does not really belong in the American League. Any other normal year, the rules would require that he would be back in the Ontario Hockey League. He'd be playing with his peers. He would be lighting it up instead of playing in a men's league as a as a rookie. And uh, he'd probably be on a 100-point season pace in the Ontario League, and everybody sure. would be, you know, uh, uh you know, peeing their pants with excitement, knowing that uh, Quentin Byfield was having a phenomenal year in the Ontario League. But because it's this weird COVID year, he's in the AHL. And after, you know, uh, a slow start there for 10 games or so, he really has turned it on uh, here since then. So congratulations to Quentin Byfield. Can't wait to see him in an L.A. Kings uniform. And DB, uh, wow, there was another King center, a guy wears number 11, Andre Kopitar, who debuted against the Anaheim Ducks. And he had a right. very memorable <laughs> night scoring a couple of goals. So it'll be uh, a lot of pressure, as we said with Cheeseman, uh, on, on Quentin Byfield. But hey, Mikey Anderson debuted last year wearing the Stadium Series jersey when they played at home. So that's a very memorable first game, uh, wearing a jersey that will never be worn again. And the same thing could be with Byfield. If his NHL debut ends right. up being on the 26th, he comes out in the reverse retro which they most likely won't wear again. So uh, pretty cool stuff. As far as the other two, Dennis, um, I think this is what it boils down to. Uh, could Martin Furk get called up? Sure, absolutely. Could uh, Sean Dersey get called up? Sure, absolutely. However, they've already sort of called up a lot of defensemen, um, with, mm-hmm. like we just talked about with Clegg and some of these guys, and so they haven't really had an opportunity to take a look at some of their other forwards. I personally believe that it would come down to three players 
Um, I think it'll come down to Turcotte, Thomas, or Fagamo. I don't think that it will come down to Kapari or Kaliev. Now, due to injuries and different things that come up, it could certainly be those last two players that I mentioned, but Kaliev already got a game this year. Uh, uh, Kapari had a couple of games, so they've had a look mm -hmm. at the NHL level. They now know the difference of stepping up to the NHL, what it takes, and now they have uh, you know some information to use in their summer preparation going into next season. I think sure. that they. I think it'll come down to the three players. I think it'll come down to Turcotte. It'll come down to uh, Thomas, and I think it'll come down to Fagamo. Fagamo, just to give a quick scouting report, he's had a, a pretty solid year. He's been, uh, I believe, the best player on the power play for the Ontario Reign this year. He missed a little bit of time with injury, but he's looked solid. Uh, he has played a lot with Kapari as well, but he's had other centers too. So uh, that's Sammy Fagamo. Um, in terms of Turcotte, he was injured, missed six games earlier in the season, and uh, has ironic of timing here. He uh, was actually injured in the last game, and he's going to miss two games here. Uh, he's next week is a bye week for the Ontario Reign, though, so he's not expected to miss miss very many games, even though he won't play for about a about a seven or ten day stretch right here. He just took an awkward spill into the boards in the uh, last game against uh, the San Diego Goals, so. Should be long term for Turcotte, assuming that he comes back and that he's playing and everything's fine. He really has been a driver of the offense there. He's been one of the more productive offensive players, even though it doesn't show up on the on the stat sheet every night. Turcotte's been very, very good. Um, and I've, I've had that confirmed by a couple of scouts and other people in management that I've spoken with, which gets me to Akil Thomas. He really mm -hmm. has been the jack of all trades, Dennis. He has been a center. He's been a winger. He's been up and down the lineup, first line, second line, third line. They've moved him all around. I even tweeted the other day, Dennis, I don't know if you saw it. He even got into a shift on defense and nearly scored a couple of games ago. So that's his dream to play. Uh, oh, he didn't play 29 minutes like he, he did play, in Niagara, John? No, he didn't play 29 minutes, but he did get a shift on defense. They were down to five defensemen. And so uh, Robo, what the heck, go for it. And uh, Akil had a shift and he almost scored, which would have been just, it would have been a typical Akil Thomas story, to tell you the truth, uh, for him to score a goal in his one shift as a defenseman. But uh, sure. Akil's been everything. He's been uh, really a warrior. He's been he's been beat up on some block shots and different things and had to get stitched up during the game. And uh, Robo has been very impressed with him. So uh, Akil Thomas or Fagamil probably is what it's going to come down to. I, again, that's my reading of the tea leaves. And as we get closer to uh, some mm -hmm. of those players getting called up, then we will we'll, we'll certainly mention that. But uh Dennis, that is, well, let me ask you, do you have an opinion? Is there anybody, is there any one player that you would like to see up with the Kings of, of those names that I just mentioned? Yeah, I'd like to see a fifth overall pick get up here and play some games. Okay. All right, you know, he's a first-year pro, right? I mean, you just act like he's been in the system. He's been in the pipeline forever. I mean, the guy's. No, I'd, I'd like to see, if, I'd like to see that type of talent up on the team. Okay. I, I have no expectations, John. It's not, I'm not expecting to come in here and score six goals in six games, but I'd like to see the, the highest drafted player uh, get his pro debut here, but uh, but with the understanding, I'm going to manage my expectations. Okay, yeah, Our, Arthur Kelly have kind of ruined it for everybody. Well, I guess Gabe Velarde did too. Velarde <laughs> first shift last year scores a goal, and then Kaliev gets one goal this year. Uh, I mean, one game this year, and he scores a goal in his one game. So, uh, yeah, and there's a lot of pressure on these guys now to come in and actually actually. I'd like produce. I, you know I'd like to see Akil Thomas because of his um, utility. Yes. His, his flexibility to play up and down the line. But I think that would be interesting to see because you talk about building chemistry, John. He's a player you can slot into different roles, and he's not going to, you know, not going to say a word. He's going to try to play his best there. So mm -hmm. I'd like to see, if I had to pick the two, I'd rather see Turcotte and Akil. 
Okay, so there you go. Um, here's here's the thing that I uh, think will be second most interesting. First most interesting, of course, would be which of the players end up getting the the final two call ups. But will we see uh, any of those players in the same game at the same time? Because as you mentioned, there's like twelve or fourteen games left, and Byfield's not going to play right. more than probably five. So the, you know, when the other call ups happen, will will there, will there ever be a crossover? Is my question. And secondary question that would be. Will they ever get on the same line together? I don't think that's going to happen. That would be pretty crazy. But uh, can you imagine? Like, uh, Byfield has played quite a bit with Turcotte. Uh, and Byfield's played Best quite home a bit game with- of the season, Jay. Why not? Come on. Last game of the, the season. Last game against St. There Louis. You go. St. Go. Louis. May 10th. Let's May 10th <laughs> at the Staples Center. Get them all out there. Just put the line out there. Turcotte yeah, on left wing, Byfield at center, and uh, Kaliev on right wing. Oh, my gosh. The fans you want would people absolutely... to get a taste and, and salivate oh. for next season? Oh. That's when you do it. The last game. It's probably going to be meaningless, unfortunately. So that's when you do it. Tease the. It's called a tease in the business, John, right? <laughs> yes. You want to sell season tickets? Get that line out there. <laughs> oh, man. I can't even imagine, Dennis. Twitter would be... Twitter would be on fire. My, I'd have to get an extra oh, backup it. battery for my phone. Um, <laughs> okay, look, let's uh, let's wrap up with a couple of topics here, and then we'll uh, we'll be done with this episode. Uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun, DB, but I I, I just I can't leave yet without talking about the under eighteen world uh, tournament that's coming up, and this is important because again, sure. peer on peer, that's what you want to evaluate. It's one thing to take a look at Quinton Byfield and Turcotte and what they're doing against men in the American League, but look at what the Kings prospects did when they were playing against their own peer group. Look at what they did at the World Juniors. Look at Kaliev. Look at Fagamo. Look at Bjornfoot. Look at all those players when they were in the World Junior Tournament playing against uh, players of the same age, right? The World Juniors that we talk about around the Christmas time, that is really a draft plus one tournament. It's the year after players are drafted. And so that's really why I think fans get more excited for that tournament because they've heard those names of those players, even if they're not on their favorite team, right? Even if they're not LA Kings uh, draft picks, for example, Kings fans have heard some of those names because they watched them go through the draft the year before. The under 18s is the exact opposite. It's for the draft class coming up. It's for draft eligible players. So unless you're a draft junkie, unless you're following very closely what happens in the junior leagues in Europe and or in the CHL up in Canada, then you're you're probably not familiar with these names. But it's important. Uh, DB, the U.S. put out their roster today and. You look at that roster and you might not recognize any of those names, but I would, I would point to this. Go back to 2019, the last year this tournament took place. Last year it was canceled right. because of COVID. But in 2019, that Team USA roster included Turcotte, Zegris, Caulfield, Boldy, uh, Spencer Knight in goal. All of these kids right. that we have mm-hmm. since heard about over the last couple of years and become more familiar with, that was the U18 tournament. They were largely unknown at that point to the greater hockey community. So there's a big importance on this tournament if you're looking to get a, a viewing of watching some of the players that will be taken in the first couple rounds of the draft this year. This is the tournament. And Mark Seidel, uh, an independent scout who was on our program recently, Dennis, talked about how Team Canada is putting a different team together this year, a more potent team, if you will, because most years at the timing of this tournament, the Canadian junior teams are all in the playoffs. And so... They can't take all of those players for this tournament where this year they're able to take those players. And so, uh, and Mike Stuthers, the former coach of Ontario, he's an assistant coach for team Canada, like we talked about. So this is an exciting tournament, Dennis, is what I'm trying to get across. Yeah. And John, you know, the way things are trending, the Kings are going to pick in the top 10. So I would, uh, 
you know, I'd behoove some of the fans who are interested in what might be potentially their selection in the draft to, to watch these, uh, to watch the series because it uh, potentially could be another LA King prospect uh, on the team come, uh, uh, come the summertime. Yes, and you can watch these games because, once again, the NHL Network is going to televise these games. They're going to yep. do the quarterfinals, the semis, and the finals. And so you can watch USA and Canada and this tournament, which is taking place in Texas. Uh, it's coming up here starting on April 26th, I believe. Wow, Dennis, everything's happening on April 26th. It yeah. just hit me right now why that date was resonating. <laughs> so uh, it's coming up here in a couple of weeks. We'll talk more about it. Certainly, I will tweet about it, drive everybody nuts uh, with a bunch of players that you haven't heard of yet, but then I can link you back to those tweets years from now and say remember i was telling you to watch that player and then they're like oh yeah we need to watch the u18 tournament so it's coming up there on uh, the nhl network i i laughed at mark Seidel telling us he's a, he's a proud canadian um but he thinks that canada is in tough this year because uh, most of the other countries including the u.s are bringing some some teams to reckon with the last thing to mention then here today db was more on a personal note one of our good friends one of the original four horsemen dave joseph of course he's no longer uh the pa announcer for the la kings he's relocating to a different state here in the union uh but both of us tweeted out today he is in the running to be the pa announcer the new pa announcer for the tennessee titans what do you think of that dennis yeah he's on the short list john they had a they had a reality show on youtube about the tryouts i think they had about he invited 20 people in to do uh, – he flew to Nashville uh, where the Titans play to do in-stadium play-by-play uh, play or a PA call. Uh, mm-hmm. And as I understand, it, he got a call back, so we'll see. He's probably in the last five or six uh, people, so we're crossing our fingers and toes. Yeah, he has made the commitment. They've bought a lovely house out in uh, – they're actually building it right now. I think in Mount uh, Juliet, which is a, uh, a suburb of Nashville, and he's looking forward to uh, moving across country and – Put now roots there, but root for him with respect to the Titans' uh, PA announcer job. Now, look, we don't want to put the cart in front of the horse, DB, but you and I both are, are big believers in his talents. Uh, and so yes. I'm already looking ahead. I'll be honest with you. I want to know, have, did you <laughs> – you're, you're a Rams fan. I'm a Broncos fan. Right. And the, the beauty of the NFL is that the schedule – not the actual dates, but the the schedule is available for the next like three or four years, and you know which teams certain teams are going to play. So if you're a fan of the Denver Broncos, for example, you can look up and see their schedule not only for 2021, but you can look and see 2022 and 2023, and you can know who they're going to play. Um, I'm honest with you. I, I already looked up to see when the Broncos are playing the Titans. It's not this season, but it's the following <laughs> season. Did you do that, DB? Have you already logged in to see when your Rams are going to be playing the Titans? No, but I'll do that as soon as we finish recording here. But I have not done that so far, Jay. <laughs> that would be that would be great. See, because uh, he's building this house and he keeps saying that we need to go out there. We need to visit him. They have plenty of room. And, uh, you know, I do I do want to get out to uh, to Nashville and spend some more time there and uh, maybe take in the Kings Predators game and go. Uh, sure. I don't know. Go down. What's what are those bars? Tootsies or something? Is that not the bar? Tootsies. Tootsies. OK, yeah. that's where I'm supposed to go. Bar, right. Let's go. Yeah, you, you'll dress in black, you'll sing Johnny Cash, you'll get up on the bar and sing, it'll be great. Oh, it'll be fun, it'll be fantastic, I can't wait. So, best of luck to Dave Joseph, we'll tweet that out if people want to send him some words of encouragement and wish him well, and uh, good luck to DJ in his in his quest to become the Tennessee Titans PA announcer. He's been a long-time friend, and uh, we, we will miss him in Los Angeles. I guess back to that Metallica song, right? Time to turn the page, uh, and uh, yep. we, will, we, we will certainly do that here in L.A. Dennis, fantastic episode. Thanks again to Kelly Cheeseman for stopping by and filling us in. I can't believe, Dennis, the next time that we enter Staples Center, yeah. fans will be in the building. What, 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 is your, what are you most looking forward to with that? Uh, just the interaction with human beings in that building, okay. like to see some of our fans. 
Yeah. And just to see other people than, than the six media people and the security people and the maintenance people in the building. Uh, to me, that'll be the most refreshing thing. It'll be an emotional night, John. I, 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 how, if you love this game and you love the sport, um, how could you not be emotional the first time you walk back in that building that we spent 20 years in and, and not be emotional about return of fans to the building? Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And uh, I do want to echo what Kelly Cheeseman said as well. And that is that, hey, if you're not ready yet, that's okay. Yeah. The, you know, uh, the building totally. and the team and the other fans, they'll all be waiting for you at some point when you're ready to to come, whether it's this season or whether it's next season, everybody will be there. But to the ones that are going to be the early adopters and they will be there on April 20th and at the remaining home games, can't wait to see you guys. Thanks again for listening to Kings of the Podcast. We will be back again soon with another episode. Enjoy your weekend, everybody. Choke it on the chin. The numbers were so grim.